Thanks, Jeff. Yeah. It's ready. Okay, we're going to take a look at a Midrash Rabbah at the beginning of Parshas Bahar. It's the very first Midrash Rabbah of Parshas Bahar. This week is the double Parsha Bahar Bahu Kosai. And I'll, I'll first read a few psukim in the Torah that this is going on. So it's not going to be yet fully in the Midrash. I'll read it from the, the uh, Chumash here in front of me. When you sell something to your friend, or when you buy something from your friend, one person should not, I'm, I'm sorry, his brother. One person should not, I'm going to use the word cheat. The word tonu can mean to harm, it can mean to insult, if you're talking about it verbally, uh, to harass somebody. But here we're talking about a person who overcharges too much so halachically, that's called ona'a. You're not allowed to do that. Or on the buyer's side, if he manipulates his way to really underpaying for something in a, you know, in a way which is an avla. So in both directions, you're not, you're not permitted to do that. That's called ona'a. There are many, many halachas that are related to that, extensive halachas. So the example the Torah gives here in in the time when we had Yovel, if you sell a field to somebody, well, after 50 years, you're going to get that field back. So let's say you sell it to him in year 42 out of the 50-year cycle. So you're really selling it to him for seven years. Let's say you sell it to him in year 10 of the, of the Yovel cycle. Now you're selling it to him for 40 years. So the price has to be according to how much use he's making out of the land. That's the example that the Torah gives. Now, a few psukim later, it says something which appears to be identical, but it's not, in Pasuk Yudzayin, V'lo sonu ish es amiso. One person should not harm or insult another. V'yoreisa me'elokecha, you should be, you should have fear of Hashem. Ki ani Hashem elokechem, because I am Hashem your God. So didn't we just say that? When, yes, we did. So Rashi points out the following insight that the first Pasuk Yudala that was talking about Anoah, that was with money. You're not allowed to cheat somebody monetarily in those fashions that we talked about, very specific fashions. Not, not allowed to cheat anybody anytime, that, that had a very specific application of land. And the second one is talking about verbally harming somebody. So the lo sonu ish es amiso in Pasuk Yudzayin, that means not to verbally harm or insult somebody. So that's the difference. The first pasuk is monetarily harming somebody, and the second pasuk is verbally harming somebody. Onoas devorim. And at the end of this year, we're going to talk a little bit about onoas devorim, but right now we'll go into the Midrash. So that's the context of what we're talking about. So right there at the top of the page, in the Midrash, Seder Bahar, and when you sell something to your friend, as it's written, death and life are in the hands of the tongue. That's a pasuk from Mishle. So Mavis and Chaim are in the hand of the tongue. So what's the connection? We're going to see momentarily. Targum Akilas 
Akilas, who was a famous gear in the time of the Mishnah, was a relative of one of the emperors, if I remember correctly. So he was Metargem. This is not Unkalis. This is a different gear, famous gear. Mitzterra Mochirin. So what are we talking about here? This is an implement which is on one side a spoon and on another side a knife or a sword. So it's the same implement. Mitzterra means a spoon. Mochirin means a sword or a blade. Mavis mikan v'chayim mikan. One side of the kli is death, it's a sword. The other side of the kli is life, it's a spoon. So that's the mashal to mavis v'chayim biyad lashon. Life and death are in the hands of the tongue. Depending on how we use our tongue, it can either be life-giving or death-giving. Like that implement which was a spoon and a sword all in one. Okay, now let's be marchiv the topic a little bit and take a look at the top of the right page where I wrote the number one. And it says, Hadahu deceive Mavis Vachayim Biyad Lashon. As it says in Mishlei, death and life are in the hands of the tongue. Mishum, Deboi Lefaresh. Because the Midrash is about to explain, Altonu Ish Es One person should not cheat. His brother, his brother, his fellow Jew. And it's referring to harming somebody verbally, as we said before. Now the truth is, this is a little different than we learned this. I want to point it out to you because it's just a technical difference, but it's interesting. The way all the Meforshi HaTorah have it is the way we learned it at the beginning, that the first Pasuk forbidding ona'a is with money. And the second one is with words. But the way the Midrash is learning it, we're going on the first pasuk, al-tonu ish es-sachiv, which means that the Midrash is learning that the first one is also about words. So it's hard to understand al-piyapshad because it goes right into the example of selling land. But nonetheless, that's how the Midrash seems to be understanding it. And we're going to be talking about Onas Devorim in the context of this Midrash. It, we're really addressing exclusively verbal Onas Devorim. We're not getting into the Onoa of buying and selling. So it's a little unusual that it takes this Pasuk in the Torah to mean Onoas Devorim, when it really clearly seems to be Onoas Mamon, monetarily, as we learned it. Rebison, please. Those negotiations are made verbally. That's how you make a sale. So you're verbally, you know, engaging in a transaction, you know. So maybe that's a connection. But the truth is, your your real harm to him is financial. You know, you may have conducted yourself like a perfect mensch on the way to cheating somebody out of ten thousand dollars. But your words yeah. convinced him that something was worth more, right. or something was worth less. Right. So maybe that's a connection. You know, that it was done through your words or through the contract, which is an expression of words. That's a possibility. It's a nice thought. Okay, so we'll, we'll continue in the Eitzchayim there. Maisi Haikro, with three, three lines from the, I'm sorry, the Eitzchayim, three lines from the top. Maisi Haikro, it brings the Pasuk from Mishle here, the Machmir B'Loshon Hora, which is telling us to be very careful about Loshon Hora. Va'aydi de Maisi Le, Mephore Yishle, Bereisha, Bekama An Peachrini. 
And being that we're bringing this pasuk about life and death being in the hands of the tongue, the Midrash is also going to through, go through different variations on this pasuk. Kedarech HaMidrash, like the Midrash, often does. Now, continue there in the Eitzioseth about this unusual implement, Mitzterah Mochirin. So the, the question is, what do these words mean? And I translated according to the Mephorshim, a spoon and a blade. Ba'aruch, Doruch is a Rishon, Goras, Mitztura Makirin, that's his Gersha, not Mochirin, but Makirin. Vakasav, Perusho, and he writes, what is the explanation of this phrase? Balashon Yavan, in Greek, Tarvad Mitztura. A Tarvad, which in Aramaic is a spoon, is Mitztura. So the first word, Mitztura, is Greek for spoon. Sakin makirin. The second word, makirin, is a word, I don't know if it's a Greek word, for a knife or a blade. Arkan lishono. The Yafogaras, and this is correct, shakain matsasi bitanchuma seder vayichi simantes, as I have found in the Midrash tanchuma, mecheroseyem lashon yavanihu shakorin lacharavos makirin. Mecheroseyem is in Greek, they call a sword makirin, and mecherosem is one of the Hebrew words for swords. Okay, so being, be that as it may, that's the name of, of this kli, and now he's going to explain it a little bit. Ratzon Lamar, meaning to say, kaf v'sakin nasnu. You're putting forth a spoon and a blade. V'haradal kasav. So the radal says, one of them before Shem here, humin kli, Shetzido echad matztira, tarvad, vekaf, that one side of the kli is a spoon, vitzido hasheni makirin, cherev, and the other side is a sword. So, what was this used for? You wouldn't be eating dinner with that, most likely, unless you wanted to quickly switch from your fork to your knife, to your spoon to your knife. So, what was this used for? Vahoya latash mish anche hachayel. It was for soldiers. That soldiers used to take this out to war, it was part of their equipment. That with the spoon part of it you could eat, and with the sword part of it you could fight. So, you know, and a soldier is always trying to reduce the amount of implements he has to carry out to battle. So, this was a matter of convenience that so you could use the same thing to dinner, and then you can go fight with it, you know, the next day. So, So, now he explains a little bit further. From the spoon side of it, that's life, because you're eating food. It sustains us. And from the sword side of it comes death. So that's the analogy to the tongue, which can be used either way. So too, the tongue. Sometimes it's used for life, and sometimes for death. As it says in the Gemara, The one who wants, he can give life with his tongue, and the one who wants can give death with his tongue. Upirish Rashi, Rashi explains, What would be an example of life with the tongue? By studying Torah, now you're using your tongue for life. As it says, it's a tree of life. So how could one bring death with their tongue? 
by speaking Lashonara. Okay, so that's the full you know, measure of the Vaforshim on this. And we're going into the topic of Ono Astavorim, harming another person with words. A little broader, we can use our tongue in each direction. And then the comparison to that implement with the spoon and the sword. Okay, now go back into the Midrash. It's the first wide line toward the end of the line where the period is. Barthira Omar. Barthira says. Now we're going to go through different versions of this idea. If you had a coal in front of you and you blew on the coal and it ignited the coal, it caught fire. That's one way. Or Rakakba Bakavas. Or you spit on the coal and you extinguished it. Okay, so this is supposed to be another example of life and death. So what do you think which is which? The blowing, igniting it, and the spitting, extinguishing it. Which is life and which is death? It depends what the fire is doing. Okay, so what's your idea, Ravison? Well, if the fire is, if it's a destructive fire, if it's burning, you know, proper, you know, damaging mm-hmm. fire, then it blowing it out is, is life-giving because you might be saving a life. Okay. If it's a fire that's warming and cooking and good things like mm-hmm. that, mm-hmm. so then that's uh, giving life. You're maybe cooking, and you're keeping warm. Mm-hmm. Okay, so depending on the fire, if it's a, a fire for warmth, then if you fan it or blow on it, that's a good thing. That's life-giving. If you put it out, that's not a good thing. That's death-giving. If it's a fire which is a raging fire that's dangerous, so it's the other way around, by fanning it, it hurts more. By extinguishing it, you're saving people. So it depends on which way you look at it. Okay, any other thoughts on which way it goes? What do you think? Dory, yeah, please. So fanning the flame would be a good thing. Right? You're bringing right. more, more heat if, it's, if, it's if you look at it in that way. Right? You're helping somebody by bringing more heat and more warmth into their life. Okay? Yeah, please. I think that it can go either way, that nothing is either extreme. Mm-hmm. Because if you go to the extreme and manipulate it towards, let's say, the sale that you were talking about, uh-huh. and shooting then it's a negative thing. But if you kindle the light that warms one, and they use the words for Mm-hmm. You know, so the fire can be representative of both, and also the extinguishing can be both. Because if we extinguish shore, what is there's nothing left. Right. And if we, you know, we're killing the potential, and maybe, you know, in the example where you go to the other extreme, where perhaps if it's out of control mm-hmm. in a negative way, we just have to be very careful again with. Great. Depends. Okay, so excellent. So everybody here is very smart because you are mechav into the words of the Mephorshim. That, and we'll see that the commentaries go both ways on this, as to which way we understand it. And there's also going to be a slight change in the girsa of one of the words as well, which makes it slightly different, but the same concept. Okay, so first of all, take a look on the left side of the page now, 
from the top, five lines down, where I wrote the number three. So it says there, Gacheles v'nofachba, this is the Maharzu commentary. If you have a coal and you blow on it, so it gets, the fire, you know, expands, and if you spit on it, then you put it out. Mashal, mashal amishahu b'ka'as al-chavera. The mashal here is a person who's angry at somebody else. Vimyavo echad, another person could come along, lahagdil harif, and he could expand the conflict. He could intensify the conflict with just a few words. Bima'atavorim yagdil ho'esh, the fire of machlokas can be fanned quite easily, as we all know. A couple of well-placed words when people are fighting can really taking, take the, the fight to a much worse situation. V'zehu moves biyad lashon. So that would be death. So you're fanning the fire of what? Of machlokas. With a few more words, that's death. But if you also are careful with your words and use them sparingly and in a, in a good way, Yashti Kariv, you could quiet and settle the conflict. So you see that life is in the hands of the tongue or death. So in this respect, fanning the flame the way the Maharzu learned it was not good. It's fanning the flame of Mahlokas. Extinguishing the flame is good because you're putting out the fire, you're bringing resolution and shalom between people. Okay, that's one way to understand it. Now let's jump back on the other side of the page there, where we're going to see the, see the number four. And let's see, we're going to go a little higher from there. Let's hold on one second. Yeah, in the Yosef. Yeah, so I wrote the number four, but it's actually a, a few lines above that where it says Barsira. So who's Barsira? Ben Sira, that's the same person. Uboara. So if you blow on the flame and you make it hotter, Harera, that's a bad thing, similar to the Maharzu. The Kavas, but if you put it out, Haretova, that's a good thing. So he's following in that path. Both of them have to do with the breath or spirit that comes out of your mouth when you blow. So it was the same as the Marzu, fanning the flame or putting out the flame. But what doesn't quite fit with breath and extinguishing the flame? What's the lesson of the Midrash? Well, spit. spit, right? It doesn't say fan it and expand it or blow on it and extinguish it. It says spit on it and extinguish it. So it would seem that the Yosef had a different girsa, that both of them were blowing on the flame. It just depends how you did it. You blew on it to expand it or you blew on it to put it out. Same idea, just a slightly different physical action. Now, go down to the bottom. I didn't mark this with a number, but go down to the, um, the Radal. Chidusheha Radal. And one, two, three, four lines down. 
Rakat ba bekavas. If you spit it, spit on it, and you put it out. Kimeduma shetzorich lomar nashav ba. So he says it explicitly. Apparently, it shouldn't say here rakak to spit, but rather nashav to blow. The kavsa. Vehi neshiva ruach piv hamechaber esoesh. So therefore, it's both talking about the breath that you're blowing. It either makes the fire smaller, puts it out, or bigger. And now it goes well that the same function of the mouth to blow can do two separate things, help or hurt. But if you look at the other gears, which is the one that we have, it's all yidei harok, it would mean, mean, by, mean by spitting. Now, both of these commentaries are looking at the idea here that you're actually um, harming someone by igniting the flame and helping by putting it out. But we brought out the idea that it really could go the other way. Because if it's a beneficial fire, then it's going to be the opposite. Yeah, Rebbe, say a comment? This is the first thing. It would take more effort to extinguish it with a breath. It's harder to extinguish it. Mm-hmm. Like, like people who are like blowing out candles, like, they have to really give it a shot, right? right. And it's just gen- gentle when you expand it, right? But it seems like sometimes it's easier to do harm. So, so sometimes it's easier to do harm. That's true. Sometimes it is easier to do harm. To me, the example of the Marzu—it just—it's so striking because because we see it, you know, how when there is machlokas, just a few words can take it in one direction or the other. You know, it doesn't take a lot to really settle the conflict if you choose the right words, or to intensify the conflict if you choose the wrong words. It's so you know so so evident in our own lies and when people are in that worked up state and it's so they're so vulnerable to to harm at that point just the right words at the right time are that's a real gift to be able to do that uh, for for people some of us behind beyond halashan any other comments on that yes daddy please right mom it's the same words right That's why you're the nursery teacher. Right. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Thank you. A nice example, too. Okay, yeah, please. Also, it's not just a third part. Mm-hmm. You're in it, and Excellent. you don't want can can say words as you said or step back that will really help or hurt, and that's harder, right? When your mom is in the thick of it. But that's yeah. where it's more likely. I mean, it's not usually two people fighting and then 
someone just happens to also be standing right there. Right. Heard from the beginning mm -hmm. what's going on. Mm -hmm. So it's really up to us in the situation. Excellent. Excellent. It's not quite the same idea, but it's just the similar idea of of how a word can settle something. So I remember several years ago, two of my grandchildren got into a little spat. And one was a little older, one was a little younger. They're both very little. So one of them hurt the other one's feelings. And the one whose feelings were hurt, they were like all like this. You know, they gathered themselves. They were just like that, all like this tight and and so I said to my other, you know, grandchild, I mean, you, you, you could say you're sorry, you know. Like, we're not quite ready to do that yet. <laughs> then I said, you know, it might be a nice thing, you know, to say I'm sorry. So, indeed, he walked over to the one who was hurt and said, I'm sorry. And then their, their whole body just went like, relaxed, nice, happy. Just one, two words, I'm sorry. And the whole physical, emotional demeanor, demeanor of that little child changed. I think anybody experiences that when you get a sincere apology. Yeah, Revison, please. We need the mask. We need the mask of what we've learned of not of fanning the flame with just the right words. It's doe. Yeah, doe koedomi is always in the, coming in, making trouble with just a couple of words. That's a good example of the negative. Yeah. Thank you. Anybody else comment? Okay, we'll go a little. Yeah, please. Just in terms of what yeah. said, that there, there are times, though, when people like, and I think of Zev, David, and Shaul, that Shaul was very vulnerable because he yeah. had this. Ruach. He had that Ruach Ra'ah. I don't know that he. Sometimes people are very vulnerable because they cannot pull themselves right. out, and they really need that, you know, help, or they're just very vulnerable mm -hmm. to being pushed in that direction. Yeah. Right. What's that? Person can or cannot take themselves out of prison. Ein ein chavush A person cannot take themselves out of prison. But that wouldn't apply to this example. Two people who were fighting that. Then you can definitely can. That's more so a person who's like stuck in a situation, sometimes of midos that it requires another person to come along and guide them out. Okay, a little weiter in the Midrash. Uh, two lines toward the end of the uh, wide lines. Amar Rabbi Anai. Rabbi Anai says, Hoya ki kartava. Let's say you had a loaf of bread. I'm sorry, where are you? We're in the, back in the Midrash. Oh, back in the Midrash. Yeah, in the Midrash, right? Uh, no, in the Midrash itself. In the Midrash itself, where the lines get wide, the end of the second line. Amar Rabbi You had a loaf of bread which was tevel. Now tevel means untithed produce in Eretz Yisrael. It's usher to eat that. So you had that. Acholo ad shalo isro mavis biyad lashon. If you ate it before you misered it, so that's death in the hands of the tongue. Isro if you misered it and then you ate it, now that's life. So you can eat the same loaf of bread before it's tithed or after it's tithed, and either it's life or death. So another example that has to do with eating, this time, the time with eating. Um, Rebbe Chia Baraba says, 
if you had a basket of fruit, of um, figs, achalo ad shalo isra maves biad lashon, if you ate it before it was my third, that's death, through the tongue. Isra v'achol achayim b'yad lashon. If you maisered it first, and then you ate it, that's life, through, by means of the tongue. Now, it seems to me two identical examples. Why is the Midrash saying one with bread and one with fruit? So the Mephorshim say that the first one is a de'araisa, and the second one is de'rabonan. Because tithing produce that's from grain and wheat is min ha-Torah. Tithing fruit is de'rabonan. But nonetheless, it's equally important to make sure that you miser your food, whether it's deraisa or derabanan. That's how some understand this. Now, there's another gear on this, so take a look at where it says um, the number four on the right side of the page in the Eitz He's going to say what I just said, then he's going to say something else. Kalkola shelta'enim, a basket of Figs, kosher. This is difficult. Machiluk bein mashal hakikor tavo lubein mashal hakalkola shel teinim shel tavo. What's the difference between the two examples? Whether it's a loaf of bread or whether it's uh, figs. The Ishlomar, we could say, the Kamash Malan is coming to teach us. Afilu trumas peros de rabbanan, even the truma that you give from peros, is, which is rabbinic in nature, not min ha-Torah. Yesh gam ken din zeh b'ochal she'eno mu'usur mo'ves b'yad That we still would say that life and death are the hands, in the hands of the tongue. You still have to miser this before you eat it, even though one's the arisa and one's the rabbanan. That's what we said. Now to continue there, just skip that little bra- brackets there. U'bishochar tov, Mizmur Nunbez Isa. It says in a different midrash, midrash Shochartov, it says it a little differently, the example with the figs. Kalkola Shalta'inim Biyado. If you have a basket of figs in your hand, Ochal Ubireich. If you ate after you said a bracha, Chaim Biyad Halashon. Now the tongue has given life. Ochal Vulobireich. If you ate without making a bracha, mavis biyat halashon. Now that's death in the hands of the tongue. So that girsa is very different. The one with the bread example is meisering or not meisering. The one with the figs is did you say a bracha or did you not say a bracha. And in a certain way, you can hear that one, the second one, stronger because that's strictly dependent on what you say. It's the bracha. The meisering is also dependent upon what you do, tithing it, or taking truma or not, and then eating it. But the one with the te'enim is you said the bracha with your mouth, or you didn't say the bracha with your mouth. That's either chayim or maves. Yeah, Elka, okay, please. Excuse me. In these examples, yeah. you could do tshuva. Sure. Can't bring that bring back that life, yeah. Person still has to do tshuva, but as you said, they can't uh, restore someone's life, yeah. And so there is a basic, <coughs> very basic. 
Yeah. There's also another similarity with it, um, which is hard to hear because, you know, it makes us a little bit frightened, that Lushan Hora is a little similar because once it's out, it's out, and we don't even know anymore who it hurt and where that person is, and so we really can't. Similar to killing somebody, we can't bring it back to life. True. We can only do that which is immediately in front of us and try and take care of that, but that which which is already beyond us, we can't take care of it anymore, except for davening and feeling, hopefully Hashem will bring it around. Yeah. Right. Even if you say I'm sorry, yeah. even if you do chukra. Yeah. Yeah, it can be sometimes that painful for somebody. Right. And on the other side of that, just to say the words of the Rambam, that we're all, we're all meant to be forgiving people. So even if somebody hurt us badly, when they approach us sincerely and ask for mechila, it's really upon us to get to the point that we can't. And in that way, it's all resolved. It's part of it is on the person who caused the pain. He certainly has to ask for mefila. But if you're on the other side of that equation, we also have enough rayas to be forgiving. Yeah, yeah please, Doris. Yeah. Sure. Sure. I think that there are levels of mechila. So can you forgive somebody even though you're still feeling pain? Most definitely. Yeah, I forgive that person. I understand why they did it and they had a hard day or whatever happened. But I'm still hurt. Okay, now that's my work that I have to try and gradually work that way out of my heart. But yes, you can forgive somebody and still feel pain. That's absolutely the case many times. The second part of that equation is often a lot harder when we're uh, trying to work that pain out of our heart. It could take a long time for us to be able to do that. But we're meant to try and do that. We're meant to try and do that. Like the, also from the Rambam, he talks about the issue of bearing a grudge against somebody, against a fellow Jew. So he says it in you know very big picture. He says, nothing in this world is really worth that much to be hanging on to it forever. So that's a perspective he has. Like I'm hanging on to this thing. To me, it looks like it's the whole universe. But it's not. It might be my whole universe, but it's not the whole universe. And that's the Rambam's trying to say, come on, you know, like it's... Yeah, that's, what's that? Rambam. The Rambam, yeah. says that. So, you know, that's also, you know, we, we feel like we were hurt and we feel insulted, so we're not so prepared to give that up, and it does take up so much space in us. But that in itself is not healthy for us. That is taking up so much of our energy to be involved with that pain. It would actually be beneficial to our own selves to be able to let it go. And sometimes that helps people along his way as well. I think we all have a voda to do in that area, right? Everybody does. Do you have any hand up, Rosa? Yeah. No, but I, I think that's what you, what you said. That it's a choice that we're making that our whole universe. We don't have. This is a ladder. 
there's so much in our lives that that's just what we're choosing to make right. our whole like preoccupation. Right. It's uh, it's something to think about why we do that. Right. It's now I don't want to compare us to Haman Chasvashalom, <laughs> right? But he's known for this. Right. He had everything, but that one Jew won't bow down to me. <laughs> Nothing is worth it to me. So he lets that situation take over his whole life. He has wealth, he has power, he has a huge family. He says, nothing is worth anything to me if that Jew is not going to bow down to me. So again, we're not comparing us to Haman, no way. But in terms of that nakuda about how much space that takes up for us, I'm speaking to myself, believe me, that we could do better and try and let go of that a little bit so it doesn't take up our whole personal universe. Debbie, did you have a hand up before? Yeah. yeah. All the time, right. She was feeling so bad mm -hmm. that I was not accepted, mm -hmm. or whatever you want to mm -hmm. say. And I was thinking, oh, you know, it's fine. I, it was mutual. I thought we agreed. <laughs> with, like, with, you're right, it's yeah. not a shit up. And yet, I'm telling you, even a year later, six months later, a year later, a year after that, another woman came over to me uh -huh. from that group and said, you know, I never got to really apologize. And I'm thinking, what it did for me was I went, oh my gosh, I must have done so many insulting things. People, where they didn't want to, and I didn't even. You weren't even thinking about it. it right. So then I, I started thinking more of how many things that I may have done that, you know, yeah. and it, it brushed off me, but those women were hurt for me. For you, right. Which is and nice. I thought, wow. See, Debbie, you're a big person because a lot of people would get hurt if they were thrown out of a club that they didn't want to belong to. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. So you're saying that was I didn't want to belong there anyway. Everything is fine. But some people would not be fine with that. Even though even though they didn't want to be there, if they were asked to leave, they would still feel offended. I wouldn't be asked to be the president. So that's so I'm saying good for you. Good for you. Comes out. My heart was like, wow, you women are really special. Okay, it's got a little vibe in the midrash. A few more uh, examples and then a few stories about, yeah, actually the last two were our, our stories. Let's see, so back in the midrash, one, two, three, four, five, six lines down into the wide lines. Amar Rabbi Shimon ben Gamliel. Rabban Shimon ben Gamli, who was a Nasi of the Sanhedrin, a descendant of Hillel, he said, L'tavi avde, to tavi his servant. Tavi is a very 
famous Evid Kanani in the Mishnah because he was an extremely righteous and learned person. The one difficulty here, and the, all the Mephorshim pointed out, is that Tovi was the Evid of Rabban Gamliel. And he cited several times in the Mishnah. Here it says Rabban Shimon ben Gamliel. So we're not quite sure how to resolve that. But be that as it may, Rabban Shimon Gamliel said to Tavi his Evid, Puk zavain li tzadu tava min shuka. Go out and buy for me good food from the marketplace. Nafak, so Tavi went out, zavan le lishan, and he brought him back tongue. Omar lay, then Rabban Shimon ben Gamliel said to him, Puk zavin li tzadu bisha min shuka. Go buy for me some bad food from the marketplace. Nafak, he went out, Zavan Leilishan, he brought him back, Tang. Omar Lay. So Rabban Shumban Gamliel said to Tavi his Evan Mahudain, what is this? Dechadana Omar Lach Tzadu Tava Ad Zavan Leilishan. When I said to you, bring me back good food, you brought me back, Tang. Dechadana Omar Lach Tzadu Bisha Ad Zavan Leilishan. When I said, buy me some bad food, you brought me tongue. What's going on here? Omar lay, so Tavi said back to Rabban Shum ben Gamliel, Minei Tavasa uminei bishasa. From this comes good, and from this comes bad. Kadhavatav tav minei. When the tongue is good, there's nothing better than it. The kadbish, when the tongue is bad, leis bish minei, there's nothing worse than it. A great story. Wow. Great, great story, right? What's that? He's very smart. He's smart, right? Tavi is very smart, and he's and he usually brought down in that context. One of the Mishnayis about Tavi, this is with Rabban Gamliel, is that Tavi was an Evid. He was putter from sitting in the sukkah, so he was sleeping underneath a bed, a bed or a table, and it was high enough so that it was, he was not Yotze sleeping under the sukkah because he was sleeping under the bed. So Rabbi Gamliel said, look, he's a Talmud Chacham. He knows he's putter from the sukkah. He can sleep underneath there, which he did. So all these kind of stories about him, that he was very knowledgeable. And when he died, it's a Mishnah in Brachos, Rabbi Gamliel actually mourned for him, like he sat shiva for his heaven. So he was that close to him. And Tavi is very famous. So here, as Rabbi Sandiskin said, he was very smart, and he made his lesson evident to Rabbi Shumben Gamliel. Yes, Elka? Right. He wanted him to, this Lafi Abshad, he was trying him to get something from the marketplace. Why he wanted bad food, I don't know, maybe give it to the animals, I don't know. Why he would go out and buy bad food, that's, maybe he had his reasons. Maybe wanted, what's that? <laughs> he said, I guess he didn't like. <laughs> no, he wouldn't do that. So, he seemingly is just telling him to go out and buy food, and Tevi then does his lesson out of it, yeah. But you think, though, that he would <coughs> have said to him in the beginning, buy me some good food and buy me some bad food, instead of making his servant. Two different food. trips, right? Two, well, two different occasions. Yeah. Two different events, yeah. Oh, not related. Right. This mm -hmm. thing came up in that. Right. What was that, Dory? There could be, even be different days, yeah. It's, it's Lav Davka, you know, consecutive. Is this, is this Rav Shimon ben Gamliel, the son of the 
I think it's his father. So it, could, it doesn't, it's not, it wouldn't be unusual, would it, that the son would be having an Oh, no, it has to be his son. I'm sorry, because one of the things they point out is that he died in the day of, days of Rabban Gamliel. So okay. how could Rabban Shulam ben Gamliel have him as an Evid? But if you say it's his father, right. then that would work out okay, because maybe he right. was your race. Right, Rabban Gamli was Yoresh Tavi, the Eved, from his father. That could have happened, you're saying. Well, I'm saying yeah. even in his lifetime, he could have put in the, th- put in the son like... But, like, yeah. you have someone working in the house, your kid might ask that worker to do something. Yeah, well, no, it means it was his Eved. The way it's saying it. Yeah, yeah, Tavi Avde. So you're saying that couldn't be because... He died, Tubby died when he was still... Tubby died during the lifetime of Rabban Gamliel so because he, he sat shiver for him. Right, so he never filtered in. Right. Wasn't so if this is his son, how could that be? Right. If it's his father, right, then that could possibly be. Because there were several Rabban Shimon ben Gamliels and Rabban Gamliels, there's a few of them down the line. Okay, now last story, also about tongue, right? <laughs> Maybe you'll have that dish, you know, at your home. <laughs> no, I don't need time. Well, after all this, right, I don't need time. But my wife likes it. Okay, last story. Rebbe, Asa Sauda Lutamida. Rebbe made a Sauda, a, a meal, a festive meal for his Talmidim. Rebbe is Rebbe Huda Anasi. Hevi Lifnehem Lishonos Rakim Lishonos Kashin. So he served them soft tongue. And hard tongue. So the Talmudian, they selected the soft tongue to eat much better, and they left the hard tongue behind. They didn't take it. Omar Lahem, so Rabbi Yehuda Nasi said to his Talmudian, Take a look at what you're doing. Learn a lesson from what you're doing. Just like you're selecting the soft tongue and you're leaving behind the hard tongue, so too your tongue should be soft one to the other. When you speak to each other, choose the soft tongue and set the hard tongue aside. The fikach, therefore, now, coming back around to our Pasuk at the very end of the Midrash, Moshe Ma'asiras Yisrael, Moshe cautions the Jewish people, Bechisim Karu Mimkor, when you sell something to your friend, Altonu Ish Esachiv, don't harm each other, meaning verbally, the way the Midrash is learning. Use a soft tongue, use a gentle tongue, don't bring Shalom into the world, don't bring the other, bring Chaim into the world, don't bring Mavis. So I found that particularly um, very moving, the way Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi gave that lesson over. Like, just hold on to the soft time. Just like, just the way you just did for the meal, do the same thing in your lifetime. Very beautiful story. Any comment on that? Yeah, Rosa? Just that there are some times there are great people that have very sharp tongues. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't mean that you can never have a sharp tongue. We see examples of who said some very sharp things when, when it was necessary. Sometimes it is necessary. Interesting, too, you know, in, in terms of the time that we're in right now in Sirasa Omer, when the Talmudim of Rabbi Akiva died because they were not no hey kavod to each other, didn't respect each other, 
properly, whatever that means on their level. So Rabbi Huda Anasi, you know, he's already, uh, you know, 150 years or so after Rabbi Akiva, but he is encouraging his Talmudim to treat each other nicely, you know, talk nicely to each other, use a soft tongue. So it's a good lesson to learn uh, during this time of Sphira. I wanted to bring out a few things from the Rambam just before we conclude. And just say a halacha or two about onoas devorim, about harming somebody else verbally. So this comes from the Rambam, and he says, "Kishem shahonoya b'mekach u'memkar." Just as it's possible to harm somebody monetarily, kach yesh honoya b'devorim. You can also harm somebody with your words. Shenemar, as it says, "Velo sonu ish es amiso v'yaresa me'alokecha." You shall not verbally hurt your friend, and you shall have fear before Hashem, Ani Hashem. So, Ketzad, for example, if a person at one time in their life was doing Averos, and then now they're not, they improve themselves. So we don't say to that person, Remember what you used to do? So that's hurting him, because they left that behind. Or Bimhoya ben Gerim, if a person was from convert, converts from Gerim, you don't say to them, Zuchor ma'asei avasecha. Remember what your parents used to do, right? They were Ovde Avodazara. That's not nice, hurt somebody's feeling. So, a few other examples of that. Now, he's, now he takes it to one more level. Hoyu chamorim, if there were people who were Mavakshin Tavua and they were uh, donkey drivers, and they were looking for grain, looking for wheat. So they're searching out who sells grain here. Lo yomar lahem, so don't say to them, oh, l'chu eitzel ploni, go to his house, he'll have grain for you. V'hu yodeya machar and you know that that person has never sold grain in their life. So what are you doing? A practical joke. Right? And practical jokes oftentimes really hurt people. So you send this guy over to so-and-so's house. He's got all of his donkeys. He knocks on his door. Excuse me, do you sell grain? And the guy says, what are you talking about? I never sold grain in my life. So he walks away extremely embarrassed. Practical joke. The Rambam says, that's an iser doraisa. Oh, no, astavorim. Making somebody feel bad like that. Or, nishalo she'ela adover chachma. You were asked a question about something that requires wisdom. So don't go to somebody who you know does not know about that subject and say to him, what do you think about this subject? When you know darn well that he doesn't know the subject at all. So what are we doing? We're embarrassing him. Now obviously if it happens, you say to somebody, what do you think? And they say, I don't know. Okay, that's just happens in the course of life. You don't know what somebody knows, what they don't know. But if you know that they don't know about this subject, and you intentionally ask them about that subject, that's embarrassing them, that's ono'as devorim. V'chein kol ki elu, then the Rambam closes it with a general principle, and so too anything similar. similar. So a practical joke could possibly be an Isidar Isa, depending on what's going on there. Or embarrassing somebody, putting them on the spot when you really shouldn't, as well, could be an Isidar Isa of a Something we should all keep in mind. 
Okay, Bezras Hashem, have a great week, everybody, and we all try to use a soft tongue. <laughs> See ya.